This is the word of the Lord. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodeber. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodeber. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then, then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your, grand, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he always ate at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. All right, good morning to you uh, once again. Uh, before I introduce uh, Pastor James and his family, let me also welcome and introduce a few who are visiting us for the first time. Uh, I met uh, Layla, uh, who's, I believe, from Iran and uh, here to study. Uh, Layla's sitting, I think, somewhere. Layla, can you raise your hand for us? Uh, where are you? Where's Layla? Where'd she go? Layla was here. Okay. Uh, Ray, Ray and Grace uh, is also visiting for the first time with family. Ray and Grace, where are you? Are they over there? Okay, there you are. And uh, we also have Elaine. We'll hold our applause till the very end. Elaine uh, is Nicole's friend. Uh, Elaine, where are you? Over on that side. Uh, great to have all of you join us today. Let's give them a warm cornerstone welcome. And we also have the privilege of hearing from uh, Pastor James today. He'll be giving us the message as well as... Uh, both he and, and Shine, his wife, will come up here and uh, offer a, a presentation explaining uh, what they intend to do on the mission field. Uh, they're planning to enter into the Philippines uh, in a few months. And so right now they're traveling up and down the East Coast to do some fundraising, uh, which is 
and a very important uh, work for missionaries and preparation for what's to come. And so uh, we as a church, because the Lord has richly blessed us as a community, we also want to be generous uh, toward our missionaries. And so uh, today we're going to hear from them and our leaders will get together and, and pray about uh, how, how, how we ought to support them as a church. Okay. But Pastor James, I, I first met uh, when he was a student at Westminster in Philadelphia. Okay, I, the thing is, I, I guess I, I'm a little older than him, so I, I studied at, at the seminary first, I graduated, and then he came right after me, right at one when Miriam was actually studying, so they studied together uh, at the same time. But uh, I, don't, I didn't know too much about him at the time. What I, what I did hear constantly is, a, this, you know, James guy, he's extremely faithful and trustworthy, so wherever the Lord sent him, he was actually, he, he always had a good reputation, and uh, I knew that he was a good guy, a faithful servant of the Lord. Um, I, I didn't really know who Shine was, but then I, I heard her speak really publicly for the first time during 9 o'clock service. And uh, she has this very spunky spirit. I think you're going to really appreciate her uh, after you hear them both share. Uh, but uh, just really a pleasure to have both of them here with us. Uh, they have two daughters, uh, Maya and Ava. Uh, very adorable. And so I'm, I'm hoping that we as a church would be able to offer generous support uh, for, for this family uh, moving forward, okay? So once again, let's give uh, Pastor James a warm welcome as he comes up here and gives us the word. Is the mic on? All right. Good morning. Um, I'm so thankful for uh, this opportunity to be able to worship with you all at Cornerstone. Uh, Pastor Paul, once again, thank you so much for the gracious invitation, and I'm truly humbled and honored to be able to share God's words with all of you. Uh, please join me in a time of prayer once more. Father in heaven, uh, we love you, and we cannot thank you enough for your faithfulness. Thank you that you're a good, good father who deeply cares for uh, your children. Thank you that we belong to you and that we are yours. God, as we delve into this passage together, we pray that your spirit will illumine our hearts and minds so that we will be able to see the beauty of the gospel. So God, we commit this time to you. Thank you. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you grew up in the church, if you participated in many vacation Bible schools, if you attended many Sunday, uh, Sunday schools, that you'll most likely be familiar with the following Old Testament Bible stories. Noah's Ark, Moses parting the Red Sea, Joshua and the walls of Jericho, David and Goliath, Elijah's fiery showdown on, uh, with prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, Jonah and the whale, the story of Queen Esther, Samson and Delilah. If I were to ask you, what is your favorite Old Testament Bible story? Probably not many of you will say the story of Mephibosheth. Unlike other more popular Old Testament Bible stories, the story of Mephibosheth does not receive much attention. People tend to quickly glance over the seemingly strange and unimportant story of Mephibosheth. It's actually one of my favorite uh, stories in the Bible because of what it represents, because of what it highlights, and because of what it spotlights. I do believe that the story of Mephibosheth captures the beauty of the gospel. 
that the story of Mephibosheth paints three stunningly beautiful portraits of God's love, mercy, and grace. As we delve into this passage together, uh, I would like for us to focus on three things. Point number one, the love of the king. Point number two, the mercy of the king. Point number three, the grace of the king. And it is my prayer and hope that this message will encourage you as it reminds you of the love and the mercy and the grace of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let's jump into the first point, the love of the King. I'll be reading uh, verses 1 through 4 again. And David said, Is there any, still anyone left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Seba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Seba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Seba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, Where is he? And Seba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodibar. Here we see David as the king of Israel doing something remarkable. In fact, his actions will catch everyone by surprise because of what he does and because of what he doesn't do. Here, David takes the initiative in reaching out to someone like Mephibosheth. And you may be wondering, why is this such a big deal? And to answer this important question, we need to understand the historical context of today's passage. The book of Judges ends by pointing out two things. And I'm reading from Judges 21-25. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Points out two things about what was happening at that time. There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And as you can see, there is a desperate need for a king who will lead and govern God's people. When the Israelites, as a result, demanded a king, God appointed Saul through prophet Samuel as a king over them. Saul was the first king of Israel. Sorry about that. Saul quickly found favor in the eyes of people because of his physical stature. And this is mentioned in 1 Samuel 9.2. That Saul was a handsome young man, and there was another man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. I mean, if the Bible says you're handsome twice, he must have been really handsome, right? I mean, his shoulders, uh, from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. And as you can see, Saul definitely fit the profile of a king that everybody would follow because he stood out everywhere he went. However, Saul's kingship eventually and quickly came to an end because he failed to remain faithful to God. He failed to obey God. And this is recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 15. God specifically commanded Saul to annihilate, to utterly destroy the Amalekites. And Saul did, uh, and he did not obey God. I mean, it is true that he did obey um, God by destroying all that was bad among the Amalekites. However, he kept for himself all that was also good among the Amalekites. But do you know what the biggest mistake was for Saul? He ended up sparing Agag, who was the king of the Amalekites. Now, why does this matter? Because of Saul's foolish disobedience, the people of Israel eventually find themselves on the verge of being destroyed centuries later. Did you know that this conflict is recorded in the book of Esther? 
in the book of Esther, we meet a character named Haman, and he was filled with fury and sought to destroy all the Jews. Esther chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And do you know why? Because Haman was a descendant of Agath, the king of the Amalekites, Esther 3.1. Because of Saul's foolish disobedience, God removes him as the first king of Israel, which paves the way for David to become the next king of Israel. And the story of Mephibosheth takes place in this historical context, in between the fall of Saul's kingship and the rise of David's kingship. In today's passage, David, as the new king of Israel, does something uh, that would be considered totally unthinkable during those days. Here, as we have seen, David takes the initiative and he reaches out to Mephibosheth in love. And there are no categories to explain and even justify David's shockingly unconventional actions towards Mephibosheth. And as we will see in the following verses, David will go above and beyond to show not only love, but also mercy and grace to someone like Mephibosheth. You might be wondering, who was Mephibosheth? He was a son of Jonathan, who was son of Saul, which meant that Mephibosheth was the grandson of King Saul, the first king of Israel whom David had replaced. Now, during the days of the Old Testament, whenever a new king came to power, he killed and got rid of everyone who belonged to the previous king's family in order to protect his own power and kingship. Now, this meant that the fate of everyone who belonged to Saul's family was death. And that's what Mephibosheth rightfully deserved. In verse 4, we were told that Mephibosheth was at Lodibar when David was searching for him. Since the death of Saul, Mephibosheth had been living at a place called Lodibar, which literally means nothing, according to Amos 6.13. In fact, he had been fearfully hiding at Lodibar in the middle of nowhere, hoping that no one, especially David's men, would find him. He did not want to be found. He wanted to remain hidden, away from everyone. He was a complete nobody in the eyes of everyone, now that David was king. Did you know that the name Mephibosheth means the one who scatters shame? It means the shameful one. As if this wasn't bad enough, according to verse 3, we are told that Mephibosheth was also crippled in his feet, which symbolizes utter hopelessness and helplessness. Do you know what happened to him? Do you know how he ended up being crippled? This is recorded in 2 Samuel 4.4. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. He was dropped when he was five and he became crippled. As you can see, life doesn't get any worse than this. Just take a good look at his life. It's as bad as it gets. The one who scatters shame, the shameful one, completely helpless and without hope, living in fear, hiding in the middle of nowhere, fearfully awaiting his death sentence. He was a dead man walking. I mean, he was a complete nobody. From the Old Testament standpoint, Mephibosheth rightfully deserved death for belonging to Saul's family. And even Mephibosheth knew that. Nevertheless, 
To everyone's surprise, David pursues Mephibosheth in love in order to save him, to restore him, to redeem him instead of seeking to destroy him. Jump into the second point, the mercy of the king. Three verses, five, six, and seven. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodibar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Notice how Mephibosheth responds after being summoned by David. What does he do? In the presence of the king, he falls on his face and pays homage. Verse 6. David sees Mephibosheth, but he does not look at him with a look of disgust, with a look of disapproval, with a look of indignation. Instead, there's mercy in his eyes. And David reassures Mephibosheth by uttering these unexpected words of comfort. Do not fear. Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Mephibosheth rightfully deserved death simply by being associated with Saul in his fallen kingdom. And in that reason, David had all the more reasons to kill him, to get rid of him. However, Mephibosheth does not get what he truly deserves, which was death. Why? Because David not only pursues him in love, but also extends mercy to him. What is mercy? How would you define mercy? Mercy is not receiving something that one truly deserves. And this is what we see here in this passage as David mercifully withholds what Mephibosheth truly deserves. And because of that, Mephibosheth does not receive what he truly deserves, death. And here we see the love of the king and the mercy of the king. Let's jump into our last point, the grace of the king. Verses 7 and 8. For, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? At this point, Mephibosheth cannot believe what is happening. Because of the love of the king, because of the mercy of the king, everything has changed in an instant for Mephibosheth. Just notice how he responds. Why do you care for someone like me? He refers to himself as a dead dog. And as he sees what is happening, I mean, he is amazed. He's blown away. His heart is gripped by the love of the king and the mercy of the king. And I mean, at this point, Mephibosheth would have been absolutely thrilled if David stopped here. I get to live another day. I get to live. And if David were to command him to go back to Lodevar and live out the rest of his life there, I think Mephibosheth would have gladly embraced that. Why? Because what he had already gained because of the love of the king and the mercy of the king was more than enough. But here's the thing. David does not stop here. As we see from the second part of verse 7 onward, we see the now grace of the king in action. What is grace? How would you define grace? Grace is receiving something 
that one truly doesn't deserve. And this is precisely what we see in this passage, right? From verse 7 onward, that David graciously gives Mephibosheth what he truly does not deserve. And as a result, Mephibosheth receives what he truly does not deserve. What is that? New life. A new identity. During those days, your identity was intimately connected with three things. Where you lived, who you belonged to, and who you ate with. Who you shared table fellowship with. David's actions of love, mercy, and grace address these three fundamental questions for Mephibosheth. David gives Mephibosheth a new life and a new identity. I mean, he no longer has to live at Lodibar in the middle of nowhere. He can now live in Jerusalem, in the promised land, with the king. He's now one of the king's sons. He now has a seat at the king's table. He can now eat at the king's table. He's no longer a dead dog. He's no longer a complete nobody. He is now a somebody. What an amazing transformation. But what is wrong with this picture? There is no room for someone like Mephibosheth at the king's table. He's not supposed to be there. He doesn't belong at the king's table. But because of the love of the king, the mercy of the king, and the grace of the king, someone like Mephibosheth gets invited to the king's table, and now he gets to eat at the king's table. And this is the scandal of grace. He was once a nobody, but now he is a somebody. What does the story of Mephibosheth have to do with us, with you and me? My answer is everything. Please allow me to explain. The gospel is a beautiful story of redemption where Jesus, the king of kings, takes the initiative in pursuing wretched, broken, unworthy, undeserving sinners like you and me in love in order to show us mercy and grace. Who are we in this passage? We are Mephibosheth. Scripture clearly reminds us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, and that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. But, as Paul reminds us in, in Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, wretched, broken, unworthy, undeserving sinners, that Christ died for us. And this is how he loves us, and this is how much he loves us. The gospel reminds us that we are now a somebody through faith in Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ, everything has changed once and for all because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on that cross. And here's the gospel. Jesus, the king of kings, became a nobody for you and me on the cross once for all. He became sin for us. He became cursed for us so that wretched, broken, undeserving Unworthy sinners like you and me can become a somebody in his kingdom. Because of the finished work of the cross, God mercifully withholds what we truly deserve. Death, curse, condemnation, eternal damnation, God's holy wrath. Because of the finished work of the cross, God graciously gives us what we truly do not deserve new eternal resurrection life, and a new identity. 
in Christ we are God's precious and beloved sons and daughters. And in Christ we are now loved, forgiven, accepted, adopted, and redeemed and forever secure. And there's nothing in this world that's going to change that. In this passage, the word kindness, in Hebrew the word is actually hesed, appears three times in verse 1, verse 3, and verse 7. In the Old Testament, the word hesed, kindness, is used to highlight the depth, the unfathomable richness of God's covenantal love for his people. And this Hebrew word has a richer and deeper meaning than the English word that we are familiar with, love. This specific word hesed um, means a steadfast, unfailing, covenantal love that is grounded firmly and deeply in a covenantal relationship context. Now, this passage reminds us that David shows kindness, hesed, to Mephibosheth for the sake of Jonathan. Why is that? Because about 15 to 20 years ago, David entered into a covenant relationship with Jonathan, and he made a covenant promise with Jonathan. And this is mentioned in 1 Samuel 20, verse 15. And this is Jonathan's plea to David. And do not cut off your steadfast love from your house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And David remembered this covenant promise. And the, for, for the sake of Jonathan, Mephibosheth receives mercy and grace. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters. We receive mercy and grace because of Christ. We receive mercy and grace because of what he has done for us on the cross. And God shows us kindness, hesed, because of Christ. Jesus is our greater Jonathan. As I close, I would like to share just two applications um, for all of us to think about. And the first one is, there is Mephibosheth in all of us. At times, don't you feel like Mephibosheth, like a complete nobody? When do you feel this way? What makes you feel this way? The fundamental underlying question that we need to ask ourselves is why do we feel this way at times? I think it's because we forget who we are in Christ, our true identity. Unless our identity is firmly grounded and deeply rooted in the gospel, you and me, we will continue to find ourselves turning to the things of this world, whatever that may be for you, to feel significant, to feel good about ourselves, and to make sure that we are a somebody in the eyes of the people. And here's our biggest problem. We often forget the gospel. We struggle with gospel amnesia. We are gospel amnesiacs. Notice how verse 13 ends. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Isn't this such an odd way to end this beautiful story of redemption? Why is it being mentioned again, this crippling condition that he was lame in both his feet? I do believe that it is to, to point us back to Christ. How do you think Mephibosheth felt each time he approached the king's table? Completely unworthy and undeserving. 
Each meal was a visible reminder of the love of the king, the mercy of the king, and the grace of the king. And also because of his condition, crippling condition, helpless condition, Mephibosheth never forgot and always remembered the love of the king, the mercy of the king, and the grace of the king, which enabled him to live a life of gratitude. As God's people, as God's beloved people, we can also approach the king's table through the Lord's Supper as we partake of the communion. And as you do that on an ongoing basis, I want to encourage you to remember and celebrate the love of the king. Remember and celebrate the mercy of the king. Remember and celebrate the grace of the king. Remember and celebrate who you are in Christ. And that you have a heavenly father who loves you deeply. And that he will continue to love you. And he will continue to pursue you in love. And that's not going to change. The second application, there are Mephibosheth among us. Martin Luther once wrote, Human love gravitates toward that which is already lovable, that which is already good and beautiful. But God's love gravitates towards that which is unlovable and creates that which is lovable. Here, Luther sums up the fundamental difference between God's love, how he loves, and our love, how we tend to love. And here, Luther points out the fact that our love is flawed and conditional at best. You know why? Because it gravitates towards that which is already lovable and that which is already good and beautiful. Let's be honest. And I'm guilty of this as well. When it comes to loving others, we tend to pick and choose. When it comes to loving others, we tend to play favorites. We tend to avoid certain kinds of people intentionally because we don't like it when things get too uncomfortable. Because loving them would demand too much sacrifice. We want to be able to love comfortably. We want to be able to serve comfortably as long as it does not interrupt our schedule and interfere with our lifestyle and standards of living. But in the end, what you're saying is this. You're not worth my time, efforts, resources. You don't deserve any of them. The world that we are living in is deeply broken, and it is filled with broken people. There are countless number of people still living without hope because this world has repeatedly told them that they are worthless, that they are nobodies. There are Mephibosheth among us, and God is calling us both corporately as a church and individually to pursue them in love. Knowing that you are perfectly loved by Christ... With that in mind, go and love the people around you with the love of Christ, with the heart of Christ. Can I encourage all of you, challenge all of you to, to be a David to them? Pursue them continuously in love and extend mercy and grace to them. And as you do so, point them to Christ and lead them to Christ so that they can become a somebody in God's kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer and hope that as you live each day, as God's living testimonies of love, mercy, and grace, both corporately as a church and individually, that you'll remember 
what God in Christ has done for you once and for all. That Jesus, the King of Kings, became a nobody for us on that cross so that wretched, broken, undeserving, unworthy sinners like you and me can become a somebody so that we can be invited in. I really pray and hope that as that continues to shape the way you look at yourself and look at your heavenly father who loves you, that that will change the way you live for his glory. But not only that, it will also change the way you love the people around you, knowing that you are in Christ. Let's pray. God, we cannot thank you enough for your love, for your unfailing love, and for your mercy, and for your amazing grace. Thank you for taking our place on that cross. And thank you that through, through your sacrifice on that cross, that everything has changed for broken sinners like us. Now with that in mind, as we continue to cling to you, and, and as our hearts and our lives are deeply and firmly rooted in the gospel, pray that it will change the way we live our lives for your glory and that it will change the way we love and serve and minister to the people around us, Lord. Thank you that we are yours. Thank you that we belong to you. We praise you for being who you are. And in Christ, let me pray. Amen. Since um, Pastor Paul already introduced me, I'm just gonna, uh, we're gonna skip my slide and we'll go straight into to Shine so that you can um, experience the, the spunkiness that, that he just talked about. I don't know about the spunkiness, but thank you so much for having us. Um, we're very happy and grateful to be here. My name is Shine. I am married to James the past wonderful 10 years. And by God's grace, we have two beautiful daughters, Maya and Ava. Maya is six. Ava's three turning four. I also work part-time as a mental health counselor. And I'm also a missionary kid, MK. I went to the Philippines when I was five. We are also, I'm one of the five children, kind of like Pastor Paul and Joyce. And I'm the eldest. So growing up... Um, in the Philippines as a missionary kid has been a wonderful blessing. And now we're going back to the Philippines to continue the missionary work of my parents. And so um, just being an MK growing up since five and the, the nature of the ministry in the Philippines that my parents did was an indigenous tribal ministry. And it was within an island where not many missionaries go and people sometimes, they're surprised going to the Philippines because there are already many missionaries in the Philippines. But in Mindoro, they are called the Mangyan tribes. They were, oh, can we go back to the first, uh, like the previous slide? Thank you. Yeah, the tribes, they, um, they don't have clothing, no drinking water, the roads weren't paved, no electricity, not documented in the government, many of them. Um, and not educated, not civilized. So when my dad first went to the Philippines, he had to be like one of them. He had to strip himself and go into the jungle so that they can welcome him in. And through it all, uh, because it's in an island of Mindoro, being shipwrecked many times, almost getting killed by guerrillas, different typhoons, and my mother raising five children at home, praying that he would come back home alive, while opening the home for 
the people for safety um, and food, it's, they counted it all joy, um, sharing God's, sharing the gospel with the people over there. Um, if you can show us, show the, the map now. Um, so, so this is uh, the map of the Philippines. As you can see, there are a lot of islands. There are also a li lot of islands that you cannot see, as Philippines is made up of more than 7,600 islands. And we will be ministering one of the islands. Um, not sure if you can see Manila, which is the capital, and just the south of it below, there is an island called Mindoro. And that's where we'll be uh, doing missions work as we continue what Shine's parents have started almost 30 years ago. Um, when they first got to the Philippines, uh, it took them about 10 to 12 hours one way by car and boat to get to the island and to the missions compound. Uh, but thankfully, uh, now that things are much more developed, um, for us in our context, it will take us about six hours one way um, from Manila uh, by car and boat to get to the missions compound uh, where they have been serving for the past uh, 30 years. If you can go to the next slide. So um, three years ago, uh, we visited Philippines as a family. Um, it wasn't even supposed to be a vision trip. It was supposed to be just a vacation because we wanted uh, Shine's parents to connect with um, the, her, uh, their grandkids, mine, Eva, because they rarely get to see them. But little did we know that it was, it, it became, ended up becoming our a vision trip because it was during this trip that God placed a burden in our hearts to to come to Philippines and continue the missions work that Shine's parents started uh, 30 years ago. Uh, we met at a church in um, Philadelphia, and that was about 12 years ago. And but at that time, I mean, what brought us together was our mutual interest and and our our passion for the global missions. But we didn't know at that time that it would take us. Um, this long, like 10 years, to actually get to this place where we're preparing to transition uh, to the mission field. But going back to that uh, vision trip about three years ago, um, it, it was an amazing time for us to get connected and, and to, to meet and reconnect with a lot of the, the local pastors who actually saw uh, Shine growing up since she was five. So it was a neat homecoming for her. But what ended up happening is um, God sent one of the biggest super typhoons uh, when we were there. So we ended up getting stuck in the island and not being able to come out. Um, so we almost missed our connecting flight. But it was a blessing in disguise. Because of that, we were able to spend an extended time of, of fellowship uh, with the local pastors. Uh, one night we were worshiping, and we were just so moved uh, be because we are just surrounded by local Mangyan pastors who come from nothing, and, and they still live as if, uh, but they come from nothing, but yet they live as if they have everything. And as they're worshiping their king and Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you can see, and it's so evident in their faces, they're just beaming with joy, and this is not just any kind of joy, it's a joy of salvation. They know that they're loved by the king, and, it's, and for them it's an honor to, to be an ambassador for him. So, so knowing, so seeing that, we were just so moved. And after the worship service, Shine's father uh, pulled us aside and said, you know, right before you guys came, there was uh, another typhoon, and, and, and there, and which ended up causing this uh, huge, um, I think mudslide, right? A landslide. So one of the pastors... Um, ended up being buried, the whole family. Thankfully, he was still able to come out with his son, but he, his wife and daughter did not make it. And we were just heartbroken. But then Shine's father told us, the pastor right behind you, you know, that was him. 
So that things, things like that puts us in a perspective where how can you so worship God while experiencing such great loss and pain, but yet that point, that's just a great reminder that um, these Mangyan pastors, they know what it is to experience that, the joy of salvation, having that intimacy with Christ. So despite going through such deep loss, that they can still rejoice. So that was deeply moving for us, and we will never forget that worship service experience together. Now, we get to go back, and, and these pastors are waiting for us. And our ministry focus, if you go to the next two slides, please. Um, our ministry focus will be theological education. So Shine's parents, for the past almost 30 years, um, through partnership with churches from Korea and individual supporters, financial and prayer, they're able to raise up more than 250 local pastors and lay leaders. And by God's grace, we're able to plant more than 200 churches, including house churches. Um, what they need the most right now is theological education. Even when we visited them three years ago, they made it very clear. Please come back and teach us more about who Jesus is. Please teach us how to read the Bible properly. Uh, help us to go deeper into the word. And that's one of the reasons why um, when, when God made the calling very clear, I transitioned out of ministry uh, that I was in New York and went, to, went back to school so that I could be more equipped to better serve the local pastors. So our primary focus will be ongoing theological education. And also there's a seminary that Shine's parents started in the middle of the island because for obvious reasons, um, these, these uh, local Mangyan pastors, they cannot afford to leave the island. It's actually very costly to leave the island. And so for that reason, um, they just didn't have any access to theological education. So for that reason, Shine's parents started uh, a seminary there, and we will be continuing that seminary. But not only that, um, Shine's father entrusted us with the exciting and monumental uh, task of revamping the seminary. Um, we need to now uh, rewrite the curriculum uh, for the local pastors so that um, it will be beneficial to them. Also recruit uh, teachers and pastors to come and, and teach uh, the local pastors because that's going to be a huge blessing to them. At the same time, we want to begin the important and necessary work of raising up the next generation of uh, local Mangyan pastors because the ones who have been ministering together with Shine's parents are even older than me and they will be eventually need to retire. So we want to begin the work of raising up the next generation of Mangyan pastors and at the same time, uh, we also want to be able to invest deeply into the, the children and, and the youth and the young adults. This is really exciting for us because for me, being witness, witness parents also disciplining and sharing the gospel and also the pastors. One special pastor that comes into my mind, his name is Pastor Carlito. It took him 19 years to be an ordained pastor from a wandering nomad. Um, so a lot of the tribes are just wandering, looking for food in the jungle. They don't know how to settle down. They don't know how to farm. They don't know how to do family planning. So wandering for food, starving physically to, to receive Jesus Christ and not only being saved physically but spiritually. And from being a nomad, not knowing how to settle down and live in community, to become a minister who's now boldly preaching about Jesus to the congregation, that 19 years of transformation in Christ and in the Bible, we had to start from teaching from how to read, how to write, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what does it mean to take turns and share and loving and forgiving within the community. So from all that basic things to now, he's going into the jungles to find more tribes 
And almost shockingly, we keep finding more and more different tribes within the depth of the jungles. And it is exciting for us to partner with the local pastors because I speak fluent Tagalog, but I do not speak the tribal languages. But these local pastors, they speak the tribal languages, and they know how to climb trees, mountains. <laughs> they know how to swim in the depths of rivers. And they are willingly going into the jungles to find more tribes and very excited to come back and report we found another new tribe who hasn't been reached, who'd never heard about Jesus Christ, and that keeps them going. But even to this day, all these local pastors, they're reading the Bible, they're studying and preaching, but they really want to go deeper into the word, and they're hungry for more so that they can share more, they can understand more about God himself. And so for that very reason, yeah, um, like you said, theological training will be our main. Uh, one of our main is also fostering community development for the Manyans. Sometimes we're doing visitations, we're visiting certain churches, and the moment we arrive, we find them starving. The congregation has been starving for weeks. And so before the word is being shared, we also got to make sure we're also sensitive about their physical needs. And so for that reason, Mercy Ministry and Philippines being an archipelago, more than 7,600. It's exactly 7,640 islands. So it gets hit by typhoons 10 to 12 times a year. And that's almost becoming normal for them. But it is still a lot of poverty, a lot of physical pain. And, um, yeah, we want to be mindful of those needs as well. Um. Just to share briefly about our vision, uh, of course, as we transition to the mission field, our, our primary emphasis and focus will be uh, continue the ministry that Shine's parents started in Occidental Mindoro. Um, um, that part in red, that's where we will be. Um, but at the same time, we don't want to limit ourselves just to that part of the Philippines. And we are praying and hoping that as we continue to train and equip and raise up the next generation of Mangyan pastors, we want to be able to send them out and commission them to the neighboring islands so that they can reach more indigenous tribal people who, are, who have yet to hear the gospel. And so we want, we want to participate in what God has already been doing in the Philippines, but our strategic plan is to equip the local um, indigenous pastors and send them out so that they can be a blessing to other indigenous people um, in other parts of the Philippines. But phase five beyond Philippines, um, because God has blessed Shine's parents with a lot of resources, like we are praying, um, how can we be a good stewards of these resources? And we are really praying and hoping that we, can, we get to see this uh, phase five, because although we're not sure if we'll ever be able to get there, but phase five, we want to be able to host uh, pastors or people who wanting to go into pastoral ministry but cannot afford theological education. We want to be able to host them at our seminary, um, do life together with them, train them and equip them and send them back to their countries and communities so that they can plan um, churches and so that they can start a gospel movement in that part of Southeast Asia. So that's our desire and that's our vision and we really pray and hope that we get to um, take part in that uh, amazing and exciting work. Uh, we are still in the, in, in the middle of support raising. Uh, matter of fact, we are in, in the, I think almost in the middle of our 40-day support raising trip. Uh, we left Massachusetts, stopped by New York, and stopped by Philadelphia. Now we're here. Uh, we'll be here until next Friday. Then we're going back to Philadelphia, stopping by Jersey, and then new, spending the last 10 days in New York as we visit just two last churches in New York. Um, 
by God's grace, we are currently at 73% of our support raising goal. Um, it's, been, it's been a challenge, to be honest, support raising in the midst of a pandemic, but God has opened many, many doors for us to partner with uh, local churches and individuals. Um, so, so we really pray and hope that if God convicts your heart to, to partner with us, um, we really would appreciate um, your ongoing support uh, prayerfully and, and also financially. Um, because without, you, without the support of the local churches and individual supporters, uh, we won't be able to transition to the field. And China and I, we just finished an intensive five-week-long um, training with Mission to the World. And it's during this uh, intensive training, um, we really got convicted because we realized each day is, is, um, is, a, is a step closer to leaving this country. We know that our days are numbered. And... It's been hard um, going through a process of, you know, letting go of what is comfortable, detaching ourselves with what is um, familiar. And even the concept of home, I mean, we've been wrestling with that. Like, what does it mean for us to be home? I mean, of course, our citizenship is in heaven and that, you know, that's where we are headed. We are just merely sojourners just passing by. Um, but at the same time, with your support financially and prayerfully, um, as we leave our home temporarily, here's the thing. The Mangyans and other people, um, other um, indigenous people in the Philippines, we are leaving temporarily, but they can come home for eternity. So we really pray and hope that you think about that and and will and prayerfully partner with us, and and you're sending us out so that we, not only are we doing missions work with them because we actually used to think doing missions work is going there and showing them how to get home. No, uh, we actually had a shift too. Um, it's about going there and doing together life with them. It's not just showing them how to get home. It's about coming home together. And that's what we want to do. Um, but without your support and prayers, we cannot do that. So um, if the spirit convicts you to give and also uh, want to pray with us ongoing, we would really, really um, appreciate that. Um, I know for time's sake, obviously, we cannot share everything. But if you would like to connect with us, our information is there. Please shoot us an email if you'd like to schedule a Zoom call with us to learn more about what we will be doing and all the amazing things God has been doing in the Philippines. We would love to do that. Um, and so just want to say thank you so much um, for this opportunity, giving us an opportunity to share, and thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. We'll be praying for you and for the church as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your stories and uh, the ministry that awaits you. Uh, as a church, uh, before we close our service, uh, I'd like for us to take a, a moment to pray for James and Shine and for their two beautiful daughters. So uh, can, can you join me in, in prayer? Uh, I'll pray on our behalf. Uh, Father, so grateful, Lord, that you are a God who reaches out to a lost people. Father, thank you for uh, showing much grace and mercy uh, to James and Shine at a personal level. You, you have uh, transformed their lives so that they can now have this burden in their hearts to be used by you to transform the lives of others. I love, I love the image of them going out um, away from their home temporarily so that Many others could enter into their eternal home 
God, we as a church want to partake in this work in some way. So, Father, would you grant us a, a burden, um, give wisdom to our leaders as, as we consider how we can uh, be of any support uh, for this beautiful family. Um, I especially, uh, my heart goes out to the young uh, girls, uh, Maya and Ava. Uh, I pray that you would protect them, uh, not just from COVID during this season or the negative effects of it, but most importantly, that you would protect them from the evil one, Lord, and would you allow them to grow up in a foreign land uh, as faithful children, that you would grant them the gift of salvation. Um, that really is the parent's burden, God. And so uh, would you be gracious to them in, in using their young lives and raising them up to be faithful disciples of Jesus, uh, that their sisterhood would be uh, greatly enriched that they would not only be sisters by blood, but uh, of spiritual birth, oh God, and um, that they may rejoice together uh, as they grow up in the Philippines. And uh, James and Shine, uh, they have this great burden, um, this, I guess this weight of trying to raise uh, funds uh, as they're on this, this fundraising trip going up and down the East Coast. And it is a heavy burden, so God, um, as you increase their faith, uh, help them, God, to know that Father, if it is your will to send them, uh, you will send them and yet you will provide for them and you will enable them to reach their goals. And so would you use the churches and the individuals they reach out to uh, to, to really be the, the means through which they can be uh, fully supported financially, emotionally, mentally, spiritually in all aspects. Uh, thank you for their witness and their testimony, their example. For all of us, it is inspiring to hear and to, to see. And so, God, um, thank you for using them to bless us today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yes, uh, prayer cards are in the back, so please, on your way out, pick one up. Okay? And so I'll stand together and now close our service as we sing praises to our God.